What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the podcast about album retrospectives with the artists who made them and those they influenced. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and today we're going into beast mode. Like that CGI Transformers cartoon on Fox Kids. You remember that one? Were you around for that one? There was a, a big old spider. Wait, no, that was a reboot. What was uh, Beast Mode? That was the dinosaurs. And I think Optimus Prime was a uh, gorilla of some kind. And then Negatron, he was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, beasts. We're going to be talking about beasts today, okay? With Devil Driver, their 2011 album. My favorite Devil Driver album. You may have heard previously the Devil Driver episode with Michael Spritzer, of Devil Driver fame, still in Devil Driver to this day. As we speak, no matter when you're listening to this, he's in Devil Driver. And we covered their 2007 album, The Last Kind Words. And if you didn't already hear that episode, I forgive you, there's still time. But today, you can do that later. Today, whatever day it is, right now, we're speaking with John Berklin, formerly of Devil Driver, no longer in the band, but was... For a very long time, including but not limited to when Beast came out. Primary songwriter for the band around this time as well. Drummer. Okay, drumming live, playing the bass guitar. All right. Ever since I Love You Man came out with uh with Paul Rudd, people say slapping the bass. They probably aren't. They're picking it, plucking it. I don't know if he was slapping it though. Should have asked him. Missed opportunity on my part. The guitar, six strings. No seven strings, I'm assuming. Didn't ask that either. Really regretting a lot of decisions right now. But after Devil Driver, of course, he went on to form Eye of Tongues, which are two body parts that don't go together. And that later became Bad Wolves, which has all kinds of meeping connections. Will I go through all of them? Maybe. Let's see. We got uh, Kyle Conkiel. You know, he was in Scar the Martyr with your boy Reese Fulber of Fear Factory and Frontline Assembly fame. Joey Jordison of Slipknot and Murder Dolls fame. And Chris Norris, who wasn't in a Roadrunner band, but he was in Darkest Hour, who are sick. Uh, then we also got... Max Caron, who was in Eye of Tongues with him as well, but, uh, you know, also participated in Once Human at one point, which has Logan Mater, who was in Machine Head. Now Logan Mater is in Tommy Vex's man for some reason, and Tommy Vex was in Bad Wolves. He was also in Divine Heresy, who was kind of on Roadrunner. Remember that? But now the singer for Bad Wolves is DL, which stands for Daniel L., who was in the Acacia Strain, who the first time I saw them, they had three guitar players. He was one of them. Then I saw him, and they had two guitar players, and he was one of them. Then I saw him, and he was the only guitar player, and now I don't think they even have guitars. The first time I saw the Acacia Strain, they played this club called The Limelight. And again, they had three guitar players, which they themselves would later on prove unnecessary. So for whatever reason, they couldn't find parking for their van and trailer. So what they did was they played the show with two guitar players, and they had the third guitar player just circle the venue for about 45 minutes. And that is cool. The only thing cooler than that is John Berklin, who spoke with us. And I say us, it's me and you. Okay, we're in this together. John Berklin spoke with us about the album Beast by Devil Driver. I was very excited and grateful to get to talk to him about it, and he did not disappoint. So without further ado, Mr. John Berkman. 
I think Beast was a reaction as a writer to Pray for Villains, which Pray for Villains was a little more, a little bit more fun. Um, there was some rock and roll in, in Pray for Villains. There was, um, it was not all like teeth, you know. Um, and Des was trying different things vocally, and I think we were completely aloof to how what was happening in metal, which was, and on Pray for Villains, we had learned like the Amures and the peripheries, and those things were all blowing up, and that whole new sound, which was kind of new metal on fucking steroids, uh, you know, with real technical playing. And then so I was like, well, I, I'm not, that's not really my cup of tea, but I noticed all that happening on the Pray for Villains cycle. And I felt that Pray for Villains kind of would just, was not, uh, was a letdown to some of the fans, I think. In hindsight, I don't think so. But at that time, even Des himself wasn't that quite happy with that record. And when it came out too, I was like, is this good? Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then, so we just, that was a reactionary to that record. We, I was like, we're going to go like super heavy, real technical as, as we can. And um, really not focus in on anything but meat. Well, that that makes sense when you say that because how I see it is that you know there's the self-titled, which is Devil Driver still kind of trying to figure out what Devil Driver is going to be, and then Fury is like, oh, this is what we're going to be, and people are like, oh, okay, I, I I'm interested. And then last kind words, are you like cementing like that you're a legitimate threat and a force? And then pray for villains was almost like the victory lap. Like, okay, well now that we've proven, like we don't have to prove ourselves as much. We can kind of do whatever we want. It's a little bit more like adventurous. It feels like, and then beast is just dominant, you know, devastating. There's no, you're not, they're not, there's no, uh, you know, cause even um, pray for villains has those, there's never like singing of course, but there's like those hints of melodies, but even with Dez's vocals where it sounds like he's about to sing, whereas beast is just like pummeling nonstop, relentless, very little, uh, very little breathing room. You know, it's just kind of a, a, a semi truck plowing you for yeah hour. it's a bit of a chokehold isn't it uh which in hindsight after that record came out i was like we didn't do much dynamics here did we boys <laughs> like you know <laughs> but i was i was so it was it was a dark time for me i, I think like and i think the riffs just kind of speak that way you know um pray for villains was sounds like sounds like pray for villains someone like an inflames got in the band and like <laughs> started writing and 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 B sounds kind of like sounds like a, a Pantera record even turned up a bit, like in terms of just like not really. Yeah, we really went hard on the solos, too, on that record, too. Like Mark Lewis was a big help with those. Yeah. And the a song arrangements were longer and for better, or for worse. I don't know. Just <laughs> We were just trying to just fucking throw our middle fingers up, I guess, still at the ages of like 30, you know? <laughs> Well, that is true. The song ranges are longer, but also the uh, the time signatures on a lot of the songs are a little bit more unique versus more of the stru- the like concise structure of something like Last Kind Words or Fury or especially Self Titled. Uh, Pray for Villains doesn't have as much of the those kind of four four constraints, but I feel like there's a lot more like uh, odd time signatures and stuff on Beast. Yeah, there is, and the only reason for that is like any I write riffs a lot of the times, and I don't realize it's in a odd time signature that was not intentional that's all i guess the point of that is and um a lot of times when i would bring it to mike and we would demo it like that's not in four four or something i'd be like oh and we would change it to make it four four and this one we didn't it was just like cool let's just do it how the riff is written you know oh that's cool so it's a little bit more of a natural songwriting process versus you kind of uh trying to adjust it to fit the mold but still, once vocals were getting laid down, like uh, Des was tracking vocals with this guy named Greg. I forget his last name, but Greg Weiss. And um, he would call and be like, dude, like, we can't figure this out or something. So like a song like Harden. If you notice, it's in like, I think five, I don't know what signature it's in when it comes in. But then on the chorus, we made it 4-4, so it could have like a deliverable chorus. And we did that on, on Cold Blooded as well. There was still some trimming to be done. So vocals were, I don't know, easy, easier and uh, more suitable for, for the part. Actually, one of my favorite parts on the whole album is on Hardened, like halfway through the song, there's like a, an abrupt pause and then it goes into... different time was that for that same kind of purpose you guys like adjusting like you wrote a riff that didn't quite fit so you just stopped the song and then started it again if you notice too i remember i played the bass on that song 
we fought over that part because I go like I don't play along with it. It's like like no one even would ever notice. But I remember like that sounds so goofy. Like I was like, well, that's what I'm doing. I don't know. That that was like one of the smaller arguments we had about that album. I I have like a photographic memory. Like I remember I wrote that song in in the in the dressing room at the Norva. Oh, and like Virginia. And then I demoed it in the basement of the opera house in Canada. And like, and I was like, this is sick. Like, and it, it, that song was written very quickly. Um, and it's obviously, if, if you're a fan of Lamb of God, I was like listening to that bump, 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 bump on from um, In Your Words. You know, I was obsessed with that. Like, that's all I was listening to that week. And so I, that's where that verse is kind of from. It's kind of same kind of shit. I just ripped it off. Well, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in their track and vocals that there's times where it was difficult to kind of match things up. But as a drummer, not just the songwriter, there's a there's some crazy drum parts in here as far as just fills and just relentless double bass and things like that. Were there any songs on here that when you went to record, you were like, oh, this is like pretty difficult. Maybe I should have every single like, every single one of them. Okay. Um, if you talk like Mark Lewis was when he was tracking it, he predict, uh, produced like and um, tracked that record. And we went to El Paso. It was the first time we recorded without Des. Like the band just went there. And so that was, um, I don't know. We felt like, because Des, is, there was an age gap there. So at times it kind of felt like, you know, as he was, he's the boss of the band. It kind of felt like the boss was around. So that record was kind of fun to go into. It was just like a little bit less of um, someone just going, what's going on here? Kind of like everyone work. Um, and that's what I remember taking away from starting the record. And yes, Mark Lewis was like, man, like he's like, you tracked uh, last kind of words way better, man. Like, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and I was like, well, fuck this fucking shit's way harder. You know, like everything was hard about that record in terms of making it, tracking it correctly. Uh, yeah. It was, it was my, it was the threshold of what I could do. And that's what, you know, you're supposed to do in metal. Like, man, I pushed push it, it to the hard. limits. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fucking doing it, dude. Um, yeah, and guitars were like I love the guitar tone we got. We used like a Herbert um, Diesel on that record, mixed with some other shit. I don't know, but um, yeah, playing tracking those rhythms was not easy at all uh, for me at all. Um, so I don't know, but when I listen to it now, um, if I'm gonna show like let's say I hang out with like maybe Javier Javier from Animals Leaders or something, and I'll punish him like listen to this record because he's always like Devil Driver kind of like you know middle of the road old guy dad metal. Um, and like, I'm like, well, some of these records we did, like he would listen to it and be like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know what? That is kind of gnarly, you know? <laughs> um, well, yeah. So Mark Lewis is the producer on this album. I know, like you said, he was there for Last Kind Words and maybe even around for Fury. But each Devil Driver album up to this point has a different producer. So what was the reason that you went with Mark? Was it just the familiarity or, it, uh, you know, why, why was he the one that was chosen to produce Beast? We got along with him great on Last Kind Words. He was the engineer for that album. And he was really gunning to get the, the, to produce the next one, uh, Pray for Villains. And I, my heart was just set on Logan Mater based on um, Way of All Flesh and the uh, Cavalera Conspiracy record he had just done. And Mark really, like, I remember he, I mean, he just, he did everything he could, like, call me. He's like, what do I got to do to get this, you know? And I was like, all right. And then that experience after Pray for Villains, I knew I, we weren't going to go back to Logan. and the whole band just kind of agreed it's Mark's time to like uh, for us to give him that, that give him that lane for this band, and, like let him do his thing. And uh, he really nailed it. Shit. Yeah. And it was, there was no friction between us. The, the, it, was, it was just, he knows exactly what to do. He's a, he's a brilliant man. Was there something that you weren't achieving with those other producers up until then that you feel like beast did capture as far as the sound you mentioned, you really like the guitar tones. Was there something that, kept you keep on moving to a different producer each time instead of repeating it. I'm like thinking back. I'm like, I was always, I, to be honest, I think I had a good influence. Des was always very, just what do you guys think, you know, um, with producers. And I think I just went, like I was usually they at the helm of suggesting who we should do it with. And I think it was me just a fanboy as a child. I want to do a record with Colin Richardson. Cause I love his shit. Did that. Now I want to do this. I was honestly like, dude, I get to do a record with Logan Mater, who was also in Machine Head, and I can like ask him questions about Machine Head all day long, like <laughs> shit like that. But I also loved his work. Gojira sounded like Gojira working with Logan. Max Cavalera and Conspiracy, you know, sounded like them. So 
I think he would give us some identity. And I'll tell you this, nothing really sounds like Prey for Villains. <laughs> like it's a, it's a kind of like strangely overpolished, strange mix, but like pretty cool. You know, I still get compliments a lot on the drum sounds on that. So then moving, I'd gone through like a little bit of fanboy phase. And then I was like, well, I'm actually friends with Mark and he understands what the band is and his role in last kind words was super important. So we thought it was a no brainer to choose him. And to just go full into my Meet Me Roadrunner universe, you know, years later, you and Mark do the Agony Scene record, who were also on Roadrunner, with Emil, who was in Dath, who were also on Roadrunner. So you later on form like a Roadrunner supergroup. That was just very like, Chris from Agony Scene called me like, hey, we want a drummer to do this. And I, I'm a fan of the Agony Scene, so I was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. But that, that's like a flash in the pan to me, like in terms of like memory. It was oh. just like, learn the songs. And I just went and attracted like in a day and a half somewhere in like Tennessee or some shit. And I flew out. Like, I just don't really, don't really remember too much about it. But I put my heart and soul into that for sure. For like a, a little bit of money. And because I just thought like the, the record, I was excited for that band to come back out, you know? That's some rock star shit though. Just flying in, learning all the songs, tracking it, and then don't even remember it. There's some, there was like right around Bad Wolves, like starting up too. So there was a lot of, uh, there was just a lot of my play at the time. I didn't fly in and learn the songs. They sent me them and I like had like, I can't remember. I think I had a, a ample time to like put my twist on things and everything, but I just don't really remember recording it that much. Do you remember what the first song is that you wrote or that the band wrote for Beast that what you guys kind of started that, uh, that trend of moving forward with that sound? Yeah. Uh, Dead to Rights is the first song I wrote. I wrote that riff um, back in Baltimore at the Thrash and Burn Tour at the Baltimore at the Sonar. It's called the Backstage Sonar Club or something. I was in the dressing room there and I just like was trying to learn. The Amir guys taught me um, the bleed rhythm and I was like infatuated with it, like the upstroke in it. Like, oh, that's fucking hard. So then I got good at it and then I started making the and it sounded like when I put that into it, it sounded like 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 decapitated or something like you know i was like <laughs> fuck this is nasty and i that totally set the tone for the record like it's like there's nothing about that fucking song that's happy like in terms of the riffs it's like super evil to me and i was just like yeah i was i was super happy with like whoa and then when we demoed it i was like i think this has a totally um technicality that we haven't expressed yet and i was just really into it and like i sent that demo to monty connor and Rob Flynn heard it and like kind of put the stamp approval. Like, this is totally sick. This is a way to go. This is a way to start a record and like, and start building off this intensity. You know, that's, that's where it started. Oh, is that why it became the single also? Because everyone, that was the first song they heard and they were like, Oh, this is sick. Actually cold blooded was the first thing they, they released off the album. And I just think whether dead to rights loses your attention in the end, it's a fucking statement the way the song starts, like, you know? And I think like with that riff, it's a very monumental riff. So it's just like, if we're going to, if people are going to listen, this is something they should hear. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think in that, you know, and even in the devil driver set list, that's kind of the one song that's to the test of time since beast came out, you know, dead to rights is always, uh, always there. And that's a, that's a good, uh, cardio cheat code song. Like if you're on the treadmill and you need to get that last five minutes or something, <laughs> And that, yeah. there's something to be said about that. That's an important aspect. People don't think about that enough on these records, that if I'm listening to it in the gym, that I might need it for a specific act. If you notice, too, you said Stand the Test of Time. Like That was the first record where I had written a lot of it, and it was very technical. And so we got, I would say, we got lazy on what songs we were going to perform off that record because it was just like an undertaking to do for us to do Dead to Rights Live. And it was like, you know, because the verses are in five. It was just like, it's stuff we just weren't used to. And like, and it's, it's very easy to, if you slip somewhere in there, you get, you get really lost and then you just fucking look like a fucking idiot band. So, <laughs> and then like, yeah, we just never got around to doing some of the actually better songs on their record because they were just technical for me, for the guitars and for vocals. Like doing hard and live was something we always wanted to do, but like, look at that vocally. It's just, it's so just like out of breath all the time. Like, it's like we might have recorded things that were beyond our ability to a bit. We'll be back after a quick break. 
If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. Yeah, just, I mean, all the rhythms and things like that, certainly not beyond your ability, but definitely beyond the comfortability of, you know, you already have that back catalog. It's not like uh, you had to add these songs in. So I can understand why you'd be like, why are we stressing ourselves out over? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the way to put it. Not, not beyond our ability, but like, just like, do we really need to go out of our comfort zone for this? But something like Blur seems like it was designed for being added to the live set. I know. I just, I... I thought those are some of my favorite lyrics on the record by Des and um, that song. I've always thought the bridge and everything, how weird it is, but it would hit like the dumb. And it's like, if you notice on that record, on that song, particularly like the middle of it, it's like not even tight. Like it's <laughs> like we did that on purpose. Like we wanted to sound like we were, at least I did wanted to sound like we were actually playing it live. Like, because the guitars are just really sloppy. Like, Uh, that that song in particular is probably the only song I still listen to often off that record. I think it's just mean. Not only that, but it has one of my favorite things in the world that kind of went out of style after the early 2000s, and that is the recorded Mosh Call, where he's like, pick it up, pick up the pace. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pick up the pace. Yeah, that's um, that riff down, 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 down now is uh, written by this man named this that riff is from a band that I was in called Beltfed, and he's a police officer now. He's a sheriff in Santa Barbara. <laughs> he actually wrote, he wrote that riff, and we were like, "Hey, you know," I was like, "Can we use this shit?" And he was like, "Yeah, no problem." Um, yeah, but um, I I always like Dez's approach on that with the uh, "I don't know you, but I fucking hate you." You know, like that's just a cool line. Um, there was a lot about that song in particular. I think it stands the test of time. Using my line now. That song was always super sick. And then I think I remember reading at the time when this came out that that was, I thought was funny then too, was Des was like, you know, this is about when you go into the green room and there's a guy there that you don't like. And you're like, I don't know you, but you hate, I hate you. And I was thinking that's not really a very relatable message. I don't know how many of your fans are going in the green room, but I, I get not knowing somebody that I hate. Like for example, my, my, uh, my mailman, I don't really know him that well. I do hate his guts though. I want him dead. Always leaving the packages at the step. Walk up, put it on the door. You know, it's going to get stolen. Uh, you talk, you were talking about kind of the influence of the, the modern metal scene at the time. It, um, your guys are showing you guitarists and things like that. You make me sick, cold blooded and blur, but you make me sick probably the most out of it. it has that kind of like single note, you know, bounce that uh, was pretty prevalent around that time. Almost like a new metal riff. People say it's like a groove metal. I know you guys love to say groove metal too, but it's a, uh, kind of harken back to those earlier Devil Driver albums versus, um, you know, later on it just became more metal and more full chord riffs and things like that. I feel like the, that song, You Make Me Sick, is like got that. That song is predominantly um, with a little twist and turns that I gave to it is a Mike Spritzer tune. And I feel when I hear that song, I think Arch Enemy, you know, stuff like that. Like, that's how, like, it's just, it's got that Spritzer style where it's, it's, it's melodic, you know? Uh, is it melodic? I'm like, dance, 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 dance. It's very like 2003 fucking Arch Enemy to me. Just like, kind of like, get, grab your battle axe kind of vibe, you know? Oh, I can hear that. I can hear that when you when you explain it that way. I remember uh, that was the first song that Des tracked vocally. Um, and Des, it was so weird because he wasn't with us. Then he kind of like delayed doing vocals after the record was tracked for whatever reasons. I don't remember. Um, and he finally picked a studio, which was in the back of Tim Lambesis' parents' house, which was just like so 
for me, I remember I was living in Ventura at the time. So to go check in on shit, it was like a three hour drive for me or some shit. So I would like, I was doing it though. I was coming, I was coming down as much as I can, just me, him and Mark, but he did a lot of it without anybody there, but Mark. And, uh, and I just remember it's in this, there was no, it was the first time we ever did vocals. There was no fucking vibe whatsoever. It was like way in the back, like in this like hut back there, like a, a little crampy studio. And it was just like, I remember thinking, I was like, why did we do this? Like, you know, <laughs> kind of like, what, why is dead? It was Des had just moved to, uh, to Mecular or Marietta or wherever it is. So it was closer for him. And I think it was, it was the right price tag on it too. It's like, cool. We'll just, Cause in the end of the day, you don't need a fancy studio to track vocals. But I just remember even Des thinking a feeling, I don't think he was vibing out there that much. It was kind of like when you get in there, you're like, let's get this over with so I can get out of here. Like, you know, where other studios, you might be hanging out and you're kind of like, this is a good vibe here or whatever. There was just no fucking vibe there. You know, you guys were like at work there. Yeah. There was, cause it was so small and a little hut. And it was like, I don't know. Tim Limbis's parents' house is a massive fucking pool and like beautiful home. And that was cool, but we weren't hanging out there. We were like, literally, it's like they made the tool shed into a fucking like makeshift studio, you know? I mean, I'm not knocking it that hard. It wasn't that big a piece of shit, but it wasn't, it wasn't luxurious. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't where El Paso, where we were tracking, where we're used to doing things and as a group more. Do you think there are less conflicts on that because Des wasn't there to uh, oversee, not because Des wasn't there, but just because one less person to have a argument with. No, I mean, for the most part, there was every record we did was pretty smooth. Like you know, it wasn't just like fucking. There was only there was one time with end of the line. Des was gonna cut like the whole intro, right? You know, like and I think and that got like serious, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> where emotions were like irrationally high. Like, I think he like smashed a wine glass, like, just like, let's go. Like, you know, like that kind of, uh, you know, just like in hindsight, it's like, dude, like, I think Miller was like, if this gets cut, I'm quitting the band. Like, you know, like, because we were trying to make a statement like that we're not like a borderline new metal band that plays double bass. Right. And so we wanted to be more melodic. And I think that was not as quick. Des wasn't rapping his, but that's not the kind of shit he listens to, you know? So m- melodic death metal is not really what he's into or melodic uh, metal is not his thing. So I think he was like, I don't want to be that, you know, it's like, just trust me with your vocals. We won't be that. We're going to be our own thing. Like, you know, I don't know. Not like he didn't have, like, not like I was leading the fucking show about like where the direction we were going, but we were felt passionate about that fucking intro. That's for sure. Cause, and, and now when you look at it, it's kind of like the, what we're known for. It's pretty iconic, you know, for the, the fans. But yeah, going back to what you mentioned as far as you guys as a band are kind of doing the instruments and then Des does the vocals separately, although I know you guys are, or at least you, you're checking in with them. So this uh, 16 horsepower cover, just by default, I'm thinking that's a, that's a Des call. So is he like instructing you like, hey, make sure you cover this song too, or that was something you guys came up with? If I can't, if my memory serves me correct, I know it was definitely um, Des Fafara and Mike Spritzer's like tag team on that if i don't know whose idea was first um but spritzer is a big 16 horsepower fan uh and i think it was all his idea and des likes them as well um and so they both were like loving it and that my yeah spritzer was more the one guiding me and that that kind of drove a wedge between us because i never listened to the song or the demo version that mike created for me to do so when I got in, I was like, I'm not even going to pay attention to what what Mike demoed. Just give me the guitars. And I did everything without even really checking in with him. And he did not like what I did when I did it. And I was like, all just like, well, whatever. It's done. I didn't put the work in. I think I could have made that a little less like thrashy. I don't know. What do you think? Like, you know, it's uh, it's cool, but it's like it's not that creative. I think I could have just played for the song more instead of just like double bass and just thrash parts you know i do feel that it sounds like super like british heavy metal to me which is kind of funny because it's like this western yeah, I mean, country song i remember in the bridge like i got out that like the brushes and the i don't know what the fuck you call that like like i did put a little extra mile on it there you know like i really i will i get goosebumps sometimes when i listen to the that breakdown and when it rushes back into the chorus i i think that build right there is awesome 
it's fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's uh, it sounds like a, a Devil Driver song too, which is an important part, I think, too. You don't hear it and go, "Oh, they're doing like an ironic cover," you know. Shitlist has like that kind of super melodic intro before it blasts off. Yeah, Jeff Kendrick wrote that. Oh, it's so sick. Um, I think that's one of Jeff Kendrick's finest moments. Um, like he wrote the the intro to it, and they also the kind of which is not in four four. I don't think in length or, or an odd meter length maybe, but the dance dance that that main riff was all Jeff Kendrick, and like that was the beauty about Jeff Kendrick. Just sometimes you'd be like, wait, what? Like. You got this shit just laying around? Like, I don't know. <laughs> when he stepped up, he stepped up hard. Yeah. yeah, it's so sick because it starts off with that. I remember when I first got this album that, you know, that song comes on. I'm like, oh, okay, here's the soft songs. I knew I knew they were going to do it, you know, right? right? But then it goes into this heavy as hell song. But then that intro part kind of comes back and is a part of the, the main riff of the song. It's just a really cool little tease and uh and like foreshadowing yeah and i remember showing that verse riff that that fast thing like i had that written and i tried to put that on the fury and colin richardson shut it down <laughs> for some reason that's all i remember like yeah he's like he's like that's a bit busy let's let's not fuck with that and i was just like all right cool so i saved it i saved it for later that's a great colin richardson impression yeah uh, that's a bit busy john why don't you try something simpler Crowns of Creation has that uh, double bass pretty much the whole time. You must have just been getting uh... pretty bored. I must have not been feeling so innovative. But I, <laughs> I actually think there's some cool, cool drumming on the verse drumming on that. I still think about like, I don't really know how I did that. I think I have an open hi-hat on the right side is the only way I was able to do that. But yeah, some interesting stuff. That song was Jeff and I wrote the whole midsection. That song started off as the midsection that sounds like it's straightly, uh, straightly, strictly very cave-in influence like with the bridge and we wrote that in the the gothic theater like the basement to that like suffocation like those guys were in the room and and we were writing that and they were like yo that sounds dope so like we got both guitars out and we just kept finalizing that and that was fun that like those dudes in suffo were like kind of like high-fiving the part like that sounds really eerie and crazy so when we got back to la we like finished it off and um yeah it's basically a me and jeff song yeah that's cool. You, oh, that's everything is cool about that story, but suffocation in particular, I feel like beast, not that it is like a death metal album, but it sounds like the most death metal between the rhythms and Dez's vocals. It's like the most death metal leaning devil driver album. Do you feel that way? Yep. I hundred percent do. I feel, I feel like bring the fight to the floor is a death metal song. Like with the riffs and stuff, it's just, my drumming gets a little goofy at times, like a little, I'm very uh, like, um, I love two steps and stuff like that. So I feel like that's a big part of the devil driver sound is like not being so just death core. It was like, I was always like, no problem going like one, two, two, four, one, two, two. Like I love keeping like that shit up. So, Yes, but the riffing, I think, is the closest thing we ever did to a death metal record. Yeah, and the end of uh, Bring the Fight has is that almost like suffocation-like breakdown, too, where it's like not like a metalcore breakdown, but it is definitely like a, a slam part. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Nah, man. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. I gotta lie. Don't play with it. Take that shit serious. Yeah, um, that was the, I remember too, recording that like 240 double bass in the end of that song. I was like, the fuck am I doing? Like, you know, 
like I really can't come close to really doing this like too well. I mean, that's just really fast for me, you know, um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of reaching on that record, but I, that's why I love listening to it. You know, were there any songs besides the cover that you felt like shouldn't have been included on the album? You felt like kind of threw off the vibe. Yeah. It's on the special edition, which is why they're not on the normal one. The song called lost, which has great lyrics. The rest of the song is like, look, sounds like a 12 year old wrote it. Like <laughs> I, 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 it's like, we were going for like a super joint kind of chromatic, like almost so stupid. It's good. Um, kind of vibe and like Des nailed that part of it, but the band just didn't, it didn't really deliver it. And there's another song called like fortune favors the brave. That's what it is. It's just not, it's not something that made the record and was ever really needed to be released. I think. So the ones that did make the record, you're, you're hundred percent on those. Yeah, totally. Lend myself to the night. Great closer. Love yes. it. We couldn't figure out how to start that. So if I remember correctly, Mark Lewis, like had a couple beers and wrote the intro to that. which was like extremely helpful, which sounds like a really cool, like Mastodon kind of riff or something like, and um, I always, always loved you for that riff, Mark. It like totally made the song and it's a real dark, dark riffs and shit. Love it. I think there was debates of the blame game making the album. And I remember Mark with that. He's like, that is just fucking goofy and stupid. And I like, I'm a big fan of Primus and it kind of sounds like that. And, but the ending of the song, I thought it was just too heavy to, to not be on there, but does the song really deliver as a whole? Not, it's probably the weakest track on the record. Yeah. The blame game uh, Primus uh, is a good call. I, I kind of hear like more like a, I mean, still, I guess the same wheelhouse, like a, like a faith, no more. It's just like a weirdo kind of band. It's got those like weird um, little, little uh, accents in there. Yeah. Um, still a big fan of it though. Nothing about Beast uh, didn't age right for me. Beast is my favorite Devil Driver album. I think start to finish, it's the best one. Well, I shouldn't. I think Last Kind Words is probably the best one, but my favorite one is Beast. I would say, yeah, like if I have a couple of beers and I throw on some some DD, you know, like it's fun to listen to Last Kind Words. But when I listen to like Beast, I'll be like, you hear that? That's fucking heavy. Like, you know, like... (laughs) Um, so I, I, maybe I could agree with you there, but I definitely do not think Beast is a fan favorite. The fan favorites are Fury because it was like the first one to a lot of people, even though it's not the first yeah. one. And then Last Kind Words because it came out after. I think people just get lazy and don't continue on. Yeah, sometimes one of those head scratchers too. Sometimes you're like, this is by far our best work. <laughs> like, you know, and then like, I, we've got great tours on that cycle and the band was still operating quite heavily and fast and uh, busy. Um, but I just didn't hear much about it. Like, you know, like I just, at that point, I remember sitting with Des too. And he'd be like, why are people so in love with the fury? Like, you know, or stuff like that, because it seemed like at that point, after a while, we were just chasing our past, like to, for our fan, not, not we weren't, but it just seemed like everyone was just like fury makers hand and, Last time words. That's it, dude. Like, you know, so just kind of interesting, like insider kind of perspective where we kind of felt like, I guess that's the best we ever did. And do you think that the artwork for Beast was trying to harken back to Fury to kind of mentally trick people into thinking it was going to sound like that? No, Uh, the artwork was like. I'm trying to remember the company that did it. And, I, and even then, like the purple and greens look cool, right? In the background. But when you really analyze that record, like you're like the cover, you're like, who is at the helm here? Like, it's kind of just like a weird, uh, it's not very creative. And it's just like lime green beast. And you're just like, is it cool or is it not? I don't know. When I look at it now, it's kind of laughable. I think it's not at the forefront of the other Devil Driver album covers, you know? Do you know why it was called Beast? It's like the first album that doesn't really have like a, a title track. Uh, yes, it was. Um, this credit goes to Simon Fafara, Dez's kid, um, who I think was listening to a demo that Dez was playing him. And he said, that sounds Beast. Like, and Dez called me. He's like, yeah, if you, kids say when something's cool or something's heavy, it's, they call it Beast. And I was like, that's cool. Like this record is a beast. Like let's call it that. It was that simple. 
I love the idea of Des trying to tell you what the, the kids are saying. Let me tell yeah. you what the kids are saying. The, the new hot yeah. slang is that people say stuff is beast. Yeah, I mean, I've, he didn't really say, like, this is the new hot slang, John. Like, you know, <laughs> but he was like, oh, yeah, when, like, I've seen him. He's like, he noticed that his his son was using that language or that, that verbiage to describe things. So I think it's a very suiting and not cheesy title for the album, you know? No, I agree. And I, as much as I'm making fun of that at that time, beast mode, I mean, like uh, Marshawn Lynch, right? He was had beast on everything. Lil Wayne was saying everything was beast mode. So, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like people weren't saying that. It is true what he said. Yeah. In story. I, just, <laughs> I like that. That's the idea that he's like, he's like, listen, I, I just got a, a bulletin and the new slang that we'll be using. I think this was the cycle where you toured with Arch Enemy, too, as you were talking about Arch Enemy earlier. Yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about that tour. One of my favorite stories about that tour was like we were a month in and I was outside one of the clubs in Canada and Angela came out to me. She's like, I'm ready. Let's go. And I was like, huh? <laughs> like, ready for what? She's like, you're my cab driver, right? And I was like, no, I'm the drummer, a devil driver. <laughs> I always love that one. I thought you were going to tell me that she was she wanted to do a song with you guys on stage and it was that she wanted you to take her to get some Chinese food. So we, well, we talked about Jeff has the cool uh, intro on shit list. Spritzer's got some some riffs on here. What do you think that uh, that John was able to contribute on here? I know you said it's kind of the tail end, so maybe he wasn't fully committed. But what, what's something that? Well, it's like if you go through it, like if I'm correct, like I think I wrote. I, ne- I never did solos, but I did like all the music on Dead to Rights, all the music on Bring the Fight, all the music on Hardened. And then like from there, the song stopped being completely on my own. I'm trying to John Miller, John Miller, to my knowledge, like just he helped write the higher lead on um, You Make Me Sick and suggested a chord change on Crowns of Creation on the chorus. But that's what I meant, kind of like he was leaning towards um productivity in the band and it started to show but because he was a big contributor on everything else beforehand and this was the record where i think he just kind of stopped caring as much maybe and and it was kind of like once we hit the road with this cycle things started getting um like not so kosher with each other but i mean it makes sense because like you said he's this is the tail end of him uh him even being in the band and i mean really the after winter kills you're not in the band anymore either right Nope. I, so I did this record and then Winter Kills, I really, really did a lot of that one too. And then, um, then I, I was just like, I, I feel like I, I reached the end of my road with like collabing with the musicians in the band and, and where the band could go. I was just like, well, what else can we do here? And I just wanted to like really get into what became Bad Wolves, you know? And I remember demoing some of this, like Bad Wolves, Learn to Live. I demoed that song for Devil Driver. Like I wanted to take the band into like a more downtuned, groovier, kind of more reflective of what was current. And I remember Mike Spritzer hearing that not being, I think I remember he was just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just not, that's not his fucking style. Like, you know, it's like, so also with respect to where the band is, I just felt like maybe I should step off. And Beast was the last album for Roadrunner. Was that just the end of the commitment or it was that, you know, how did that relationship end? What I remember being managed by Steve Davis at the time, he managed like Danzig for a while. He now manages bands like Revocation, Shadow of Intense and shit, Ministry, shit like that. Uh, so he was our manager, great manager. And he foresaw, like, we asked to not pick up our option, I think. Um, because I think he foresaw that we were probably going to get dropped anyways in the whole shuffle of Roadrunner getting absorbed by, uh, which I think is Warner. Um, and there was, I think we knew that they were going to keep a certain amount of tier bands and the rest was just like, and if your A&R wasn't there anymore and everything and like Monty was going to be gone, it was just like Monty's r and um, Case Wessels, I think, like didn't really have any interest in making sure that we were taken care of. So um, I think he just saw the forest through the trees that it's time to get away from this anyways, you know, mind you, I was not running the business at all in this. So 
I think that's what that was the story that was handed to me, you know, um, and that's all I remember. It's pretty detailed enough, though, that I think I'm right. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, that's a lot of uh, pretty specific details that all all make sense. Like you said, I mean, because Beast comes out in 2011, 2012 is kind of like the big merger acquisition, whatever you want to call it. That's when Monty leaves also or is removed. What? Um, so, I mean, that, that sounds dead on. Sounds like you're right. And then Winter Kills was with Napalm Records. And like that was because of Dez's idea to cover that song sale, like that, that record was super successful. Like based, like if you look at like devil driver, the highest streaming song is sale, which is, it's really cool when like someone suggests doing a cover and you're like, fuck it. It's actually sick. I like it. And then like, and it just, and you do a good version of it and there's no intention of it leading anything or being a part of something. And it just really works. It's just fun. You know, besides, you know, you're not getting that publishing check, but in general, it's just cool that, that song is was we took it seriously covering it because we wanted to do it justice and it, it came out great. Yeah, you know what's uh, interesting is I know a lot of uh, we'll call them normies, right? And that's what they they're like, oh, Devil Driver, they do the the sale song, so that, you know yeah. people that would never listen to metal, metal, right? In their minds, kind of like Bad Wolves. Oh yeah, Zombie Band, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you guys went number one was on. It's a little bit different. I had to I have to hear Zombie when I go to the fucking grocery store. Much less like, <laughs> <laughs> Sale wasn't that omnipotent. Yeah, no, it wasn't. But um, sale still was a. Uh, I think it's still in their set, and it's a great, it's a great, great tune. And uh, I've gotten to, I've chatted with Aaron Bruno from AOL Nation like once or twice, and it's thumbs up approved by him. So that's cool. I really uh, look up to him. Like it's been, a, it had been a while since a friend had recommended a band, and Des was like AOL Nation. But I really went on to be after learning about them through him to be like a massive fan. What is something that you would have done differently with Beast? Do a different drum track on the cover? Yeah, probably that. Not much, though. I wouldn't change too much because the tones are all there. There's some sort of um, anger that underlies that record that you can feel from every participant in it. And the mix was like, I remember at the 11th hour, we were playing in somewhere in, outside of London and Sneep came. Oh, we were playing in Nottingham. And uh, Sneep, Andy Sneep, who mixed it, he came, watched our show, scooped me up. We went there and we mixed the fucking thing. Um, just me and him and his house till like fucking 7 a.m. or some shit. <laughs> and then um, he gave me a ride back. And I just remember just being like, hadn't slept yet and had to play a show. And just like, just like listen to this, guys. And everyone was like, damn. <laughs> being a big Machine Head fan, that must have been cool, right? Because he did uh, More Things Change, I think he mixed. Well, I Sneep has done a lot of things that I enjoyed from Kill Switch. There is a Exodus record called, I believe it's called Shovelhead, Warhead, Shovel, what, what's it called? Shovelheaded Kill Machine. That is what basically I based Beast Mix off of. That was like, I was like, I want it to sound kind of like this high end treble that uh, so a lot of our other records were missing a bit. And that was my like, let's sound like these guys. <laughs> well, it's good to have a reference, right? I think that makes it easier. Yeah, like Pray for Villains, like we were struggling to get that mixed right. And I just gave him, you know, I put up Puritanical, you know, like Dim You. And I was like, make it sound like this. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and I think in the end, that's why the drums are so fucking loud on that record, because he just went with that kind of AB. What is something about Beast that you like more than any other Devil Driver album? It's technicality and like it's relentlessness, you know? and it's anger like it's just i never thought that we did angry that well as a band like you know how some bands are scary because they're fucking angry hardcore bands and shit like that like that was never our total forte we, we just like we had emotion but anger wasn't always just like oh that fucking makes me want to break a fucking window like you know uh and that there's parts of that record that do that like which i think is hard to accomplish you know it was, it was a magical time when I think about how I feel about that record. My family internally was going through a lot and it totally reflects like uh, the stuff I was writing. There was no hook. There was no, I was just angry. And, and like, there was a lot of like, I remember John Miller without, those were the kind of like the ending stages of him in the band. There was a lot of like drug use uh, at the, at Sonic Ranch, you know, <laughs> doing that. But overall, it was smooth, you know? 
Like it was, it, there's no, I don't look back and like, like, oh, that record was hard to make or it was a bad time for the band or anything. It's just like, man, it was just wild. And, and it's just, I think back at my age, I think it was what, 30 something or just like, it's so cool to be able to just have a big budget to go to El Paso to fucking record like kind of like a close to death metal record and like make some money doing it and like then go on tour. Like we toured with like Bring Me the Rise and Machine Head on that run. Like there was just a lot of cool wins for the band all over and um, a great cycle to like fucking just put in your brain and fantasize about remember. Thanks so much to John for taking the time to talk to us about this album because he doesn't have to do that. He's busy. He's in Bad Wolves. They're touring the entire Earth. And I think next they're going to the moon, which seems dangerous for a wolf, you know? Because Bad Wolf, you know, that's only a couple steps away from Werewolf. Really playing with fire there. Playing with fire, also not a good idea to do if you're a wolf. Or in general, don't play with fire. That's my message. That's the meat meat message. Avoid arson at all costs and keep up with bad wolves at bad wolves official on instagram you can see they got new music coming they just put out a little ep over the summer i'm sure they got an lp coming over the winter i don't know that for a fact but maybe that's called the law of attraction if i speak it into existence tracks will start flying okay and you know what else should start flying you over to the meet me patreon patreon.com slash meet me pod for exclusive episodes and you can get a t-shirt at meet meep.bigcartel.com look cool for the for the parties you got coming up those holiday parties some holidays got to be coming up you know indigenous people's day uh Halloween, Sweetest Day, which is kind of like Valentine's Day if you're in the Midwest and you wear khaki cargo shorts. There's a lot of things coming up. You're going to want to look cool for it. But in the meantime, stay tuned to Meet Me Pod on Instagram as well for new episodes. I'm Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye!